I, I think that my favorite thing about play your passwords right is the fact that you build it up and then drop it down slightly and then build it up and you've got to know where the builds and the and, and the troughs are. <laughs> mm-hmm. The best thing about playing your passwords right was actually the episode that I was not on it and Sarah filled in for me and she absolutely trounced Rue. That was hilarious to listen to. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I really think that we peaked there. Uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully, just to play your passwords right, not in general. <laughs> no, not I in mean, general. You know, no. to peak at episode oh sixty four. I mean, if you look at the stats, we peaked in season two. So. <laughs> <laughs> It has been an absolutely wild week in both tech and security tech and kind of just crypto in general and like all the ancillaries that that one password kind of sits across in nature is all of them. The switchboards have been lit up this week. And so I wanted to discuss some things before we even get into Watchtower Weekly. <laughs> I wanted to discuss some interesting little tidbits of information that have kind of filtered through my Twitters. So the first one I, I want to discuss is this person didn't pay their Apple card, right? Like the, the balance on their Apple card. And Apple disabled their iCloud account, App Store account. And of course, you know, associated with their App Store account is any apps that are then for sale. And that one, I don't think people read too much into the terms and conditions, but I'm, I'm interested in like what you both think on the inherent monopoly that comes with that. I know that they've been under fire a bit recently for having a monopoly, but uh, the connectedness of that seems seems a little wild, don't you think? Mm. Okay. I, I, mm. <laughs> yes, yes and no. I think that there's probably some nuances to this story that we're not getting. Oh, they, they probably, you know, absolutely are. And I imagine it's very similar for, you know, GPay or, or whatever that is. If you go past your balance, they probably just, you know, shut down your account. But when your account is your email address and everything associated with all of these services that they have running. I think it's a little bit, you know, it apparently happened on day 15 uh, and you have 14 days to pay or something. I mean, yeah, I would say this is the kind of stuff that I expect and have heard of Google, but hearing it from Apple is quite interesting and not kind of what I would expect. So here's why I think that this is a sensationalist headline a little bit. Apple Card disabled my iCloud App Store and Apple ID accounts. So replace the words Apple Card with credit card and go through the fact that their credit card like expired and then the story isn't quite so sensationalist, right? Like my credit card expired and Apple disabled my iCloud at App Store and Apple ID accounts. Well, I think it's a it's a little bit different, right? Because the nuance here is that that card is linked to all these other accounts. Whereas if, if I don't pay my Amex, for example, they don't somehow shut down my Amex email address and my ability to run my business through selling apps. Whereas the nuances here, like all these accounts are connected and they don't just shut down one account, they shut down everything. Yeah, possibly. It, it, it was an interesting one. Like it is obviously linked, right? He said, as it turns out, my bank account number changed in January, causing Apple Card AutoPay to fail. So Apple Card AutoPay failed. The App Store tried to charge him on that card for you know all of his services and they couldn't. And after 14 days, that was it. Like, they, they shut it down. Mm. I don't know. Like, yes, I agree. Like, he, all the eggs were in one basket. But I still think that there's a little nuance here that is putting this over the top. Absolutely. Let's talk about Tom Cruise deepfakes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. This is great. I am uh, just loving TikTok recently. 
and I can't dance, but it makes me want to. And uh, I can't do impersonations, but it's making me want to. And that's brilliant. But the, the thing that piqued my interest was how good the TikTok Tom Cruise impersonator is. If you watch some of these, like, it's not even the impersonation that is that good. It is the body structure, because, you know, he's not the tallest of gentlemen. <laughs> it's the body structure. It is the mannerisms. It is just so well done. He's got Tom Cruise's laugh. It's crazy. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's a little bit of the impersonation, but I think it's your bra- brain tricking you into thinking that the impersonation is better because of the just the, like the visuals. That this is one of the best deep fakes that I have seen. Yeah, I would say the lip syncing doesn't quite match up though. When I watched it, I was a bit like, hmm. That is true. Yeah, there are there are obviously still a few uh, a few problems, but. Just the the seamlessness of him putting on a hat and putting on sunglasses, but it's still keeping each and every frame to Tom Cruise. He's very impressive. I was not worried about this technology too much until uh, until (laughs) you fake Tom Cruise, because I hadn't seen it done anywhere near as good as this. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to, like, reenact classic movies now and just put Tom Cruise in them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, yeah. Gandalf Tom Cruise, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the next one. So the news over the over the past couple of weeks has been a security researcher that has been kind of looking at password managers and kind of from a third party code point of view and found a bunch of trackers in a bunch of other password managers. And it's caused a bit of a ruckus on the Internet. People have realized that actually these things aren't great to have in there. One password, of course, came out nicely on top with zero trackers, something that no other password management service actually came out with, which, you know, I hold my head high at that. Yeah, I think this is the kind of news that makes me proud to work at One Password. Oh, absolutely. You know, some of the others you can opt out of, but it's not really the opt in, opt out that I take problem with here it's the having the code in there and believing that you know when you turn that switch off it's not going to still send and what it does send you don't actually know so like there's all swathes of problems with having kind of analytics like built in but you know you can turn these things off uh, and it says that you know no sensitive personally identifiable user data or vault activity could be passed through these trackers so the, the difficult thing here is that they said no sensitive, personally identifiable user data or vault activity could be passed through these trackers. And my immediate thought is, oh, so those two very specific things, like there's a load of other sensitive data that is not personally identifiable. And then there is a load of other activity that is not vault activity. And so like, is that all going through there? Why would they be that specific? So... I don't know, but that makes me feel very uncomfortable just for the market of password managers in general. And I do not like any of this. I don't think this helps password managers at all. Like, I like that we came out on top here. I'm going to hold my head high for that. But I do not like that this is a thing in the industry because I think it it puts people off using password managers. I like it. I, I like your stance, rather. So with that moan... I think we can dive into some Watchtower Weekly, which is apparently not what we were doing before, but this is this is the proper Watchtower Weekly. Excellent. Yeah, go for it. So schools are abandoning invasive proctoring software after student backlash. Um, first of all, proctoring software definitely sounds invasive. Uh, I have never... <laughs> you, don't, you don't go to a proctologist and it not be 
uh, invasive. So I, no. I the, the word no. proctoring just is so awful. <laughs> um, so Vice are reporting Proctor.io or Proctorio uh, has cashed in on remote learning since the start of the pandemic. Uh, now some schools are abandoning the company's controversial software. So the decision made admit a nationwide barrage of complaints from students arguing that the software, which surveils test takers through their cameras and microphones, and then you know uses artificial intelligence, and probably just a person on the other end flagging stuff, to measure their abnormalities. I mean, that's, that's a bit mean, to be honest. If you monitor me through my camera, you'll find some abnormalities. <laughs> but, you know, what they're looking for is is kind of you know, pauses between answers and, you know, you leaving the room and coming back again. And they're trying to find people who are cheating, right? So like other exam monitoring software companies, Proctorio or Proctor.io has celebrated the pandemic-induced boom in its business. It struck lucrative new deals, uh, more than 20 million exams in 2020, triple the number in 2019, and now boasts serving more than a thousand schools and organizations in, in 170 countries. 20 million exams for a f- from 1,000 schools. That doesn't make sense, right? That's a lot. How big are these schools? I mean, universities. Pretty oh, big, right? Colleges. That's more exams than I want to do. Yeah. So the, the success has also brought scrutiny, uh, and there are signs that the company's technology and treatment of critics have soured its reputation. Uh, so not only were they nasty in business, but they seem to be nasty people as well. Some of the people most likely to use... Proctor.io after the pandemic online learning instructors have said that the tool is harmful and not necessary to stop cheating. So schools and organizations, including some of the most prized customers that they had, are cutting ties and declining to renew contracts. It's had a really bad rap as well as being a bad piece of software. This Twitter account has been retweeting students who say the software didn't recognize them because of their skin tone and that it flagged them as cheating because of exam-related anxiety and that, you know, they cried through the exams because of the extra pressure imposed by this surveillance. And it, it is, like, massive. Yeah. I've, I've got a camera pointed right at my face right now and I'm being recorded and that makes me quite... Uh, on edge. And I I can only imagine if I had one go at this and that it wasn't edited, I would be (laughs) profusely sweating. And so, yeah, I like the fact that this has had a backlash, if I'm honest. Mm. I mean, exams are stressful anyway, aren't they? So you don't want that added pressure of this thing surveilling you whilst you're trying to get a good grade and all that. But I feel like privacy and trust kind of go hand in hand. And we seem to be losing a lot of trust in 2020 and just in years gone by. And we kind of need to rebuild that in our society and... Can't we just have faith in students to, you know, not cheat? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I dislike this a lot. Um, yeah. And I'm glad schools have, have started to not do it because I failed a lot of exams <laughs> because I didn't <laughs> like the pressure. And, and my reaction to pressure is like, right, well, I won't do this then. And mm. I don't think that kind of human nuance gets really considered in, in software. No. This this thing's just like, you know, no, they're cheating. and And actually it could be you know, anxiety related. It could be it could be a number of things. Studying in the pandemic as well is a lot of pressure and a lot more, as you say, nuanced. They've got enough to be dealing with students at the moment rather than having to think about if something's tracking them whilst they're in exams. Yeah, rather than like, not only do I have to consider, did I write not enough or too much for this question, but like also, did I look around too much and that flagged me as cheating on that question and so it yeah. goes to a, like an automatic board of Ugh, 
Horrible. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the next one. <laughs> so have you ever felt that a few big tech companies are following you around the internet? That's what the register said. That's because they are. Um, so a new extension for Google Chrome has made explicit how most popular sites on the internet load resources from one another, from one or more of the big tech companies. So Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and Amazon. The extension, the big tech detective, uh, that's a good name, <laughs> uh, shows the extent to which the websites exchange data with these four companies by reporting on them. It optionally blocks sites that request such data. Any such request is also effectively a tracker since the provider sees the IP number, sees the IP address, and other request data for the user's web browser. The extension was built by an investigative data reporter in association with the Anti-Monopoly Fund at the Economic Security Project, a non-profit research group. Seems good. I, I think this is another one in the way linked to our next story, which I'm actually going to dive straight into because I, I think while this extension is, is great and it's picking up on things, I think that generally brings things into conversation and I really do believe that the only people that can solve this type of cross-site tracking and all that kind of nastiness that goes with it is the browser suppliers. I think if, if we want a solution to any of this, it's going to be within the browsers. And so Firefox 86 introduces total cookie protection. So Mozilla recently announced total cookie protection, a major privacy advancement in, in Firefox built into ETP strict mode. So total cookie protection confines cookies to the site where they were created, which prevents tracking companies from using these cookies to track your browsing from site to site. So essentially, if you're on Google.com, Google.com can only read the cookies from Google.com. It's a separate little you know, cookie jar for each website. As soon as you say it like that, it seems like this should have been how the internet was created all along, right? If you're on 1password.com, and the cookies can be read from 1password.com, that seems perfectly fine. So cookies, uh, those well-known morsels of data that web browsers store on a website's behalf, are a useful technology, but also a serious privacy vulnerability. And that's because the prevailing behavior of web browsers allows cookies to be shared between websites, and therefore enabling those who would spy on you, tag your browser and, and tag you as you browse. This type of cookie-based tracking has, has long been a prevalent method for gathering intelligence on, on users. It's a key component of the mass commercial tracking that allows things like advertising companies to quietly build a very detailed personal profile of you. So the, the new feature works by maintaining complete separate cookie jars uh, for each website that you visit. And anytime a website or cookie or a third party content embedded in a website deposits a cookie, that cookie is then confined to that cookie jar. This is making me very, very hungry. You've said cookies so many times. Like so many times. <laughs> this is really something. So yeah, I think this is a absolutely fantastic move forward. And I hope that all other browsers pick it up. Joining us on the show today for This Week at 1Password is Jeannie de Guzman. Jeannie is our CFO here at 1Password and is here today to discuss this year's virtual AGConf cruise, everything we got up to and what we learned along the way. Hello, Jeannie. Welcome to the show. How are you feeling? Hey, uh, thanks for having me. The best way to explain how you feel right after the cruise, you know, just that feeling of adrenaline leaving your body. It was so excited uh, leading up to and during the conference. And then right after it was just like my brain was empty now. I had a lot of space back. 
got a lot of time to think and it felt like there was just a little bit of a hole, <laughs> a little bit of a hole in my heart. But the feedback has been amazing and wonderful. And, and we are extremely proud of, of the way everything came together. I have to imagine that the feeling is a little bit amplified for you as well, because you were so intimately involved in all of the planning and everything else that when it was done, there was probably that big, huge just sort of weight off your shoulders of, of having accomplished something pretty incredible. Yeah, it, you feel, you know, kind of naked, like what happened? Every, something's been taken away from me. And it does feel like what's the next thing I got to do. So I promised everyone, I said, I'm gonna take a month. And then I'm going to start thinking about next year's to see what we're going to do for next year. <laughs> so we typically do an in-person, an actual cruise. We, we fly everyone typically down to Fort Lauderdale or Miami, and we get on a boat or a ship rather for a few days. But obviously due to COVID, we took this remote, Jeannie, like remote conference, remote cruise is a giant farce, right? Like This wasn't actually good. This was, <laughs> th there's no way to actually make this good, right? Like. What, so what's the story here? Oh, well, there, there was a chance it wasn't going to be good. And I would say that's probably the biggest fear that was sitting in the back of my head through the entire time. But we did end up creating a virtual cruise ship experience. And really the way that all of this was able to even come together was we hired an external vendor. So Big HQ and Atmosphere Events, they tag team to deliver the actual experience for us. And then, you know, I had a partner in crime, Emily, who was really instrumental in helping me deal with all of the logistics and the planning and the organizing and then we had a ton of bits. Um, Matt on this call, who's who's traditionally been overseeing all of the um, design, had his design team create amazing swag. We had Julie and Cyrus. Julie hosted people. Cyrus dealt with all the IT issues. And we had all the leaders and a whole bunch of panelists and presenters. And really, without all of everyone's help, the, the entire experience wouldn't have been as great as, as I think it went. It was incredibly impressive. And and you had asked at one point, like in the middle of it, you're like, what's the feeling? Like, how is this going? And I told you, like, it's insanely corny and incredibly well done. <laughs> like the, the production values were really high. And the fact that you just leaned hard into the actors that that were portraying uh, the captain and other things that we had going on, like everything leaned right into it. And there was so much prep ahead of time. So Basically, there was a website that you could go to during the conference, and it was a virtual cruise ship. Like, you're staring at the deck of a ship, and you can click around. It's it's like an old-school point-and-click adventure game. And you can go into, like, different rooms or different parts of the ship. There was the theater room where you could go and watch events that were scheduled to take place, CEOs, uh, all-hands call, and things like this. We had actual guests, which is not something we've done for many, many, many years, but you were able to bring in, like, external speakers, which was really cool. And those were done really well. I have to imagine that trying to take your own story and mold it into something that's applicable to a tech company is probably a difficult task. Our speakers certainly pulled that off. It was really neat. There was dancing and, and like fun games and stuff. I'm going to say something. Don't take offense. I can't believe it was actually good. Like it, it was it was really, really well done. Yeah, the bar was high because all of you have been on so many of them. The piece of anxiety in my head was how am I going to make sure everybody has this experience? Because there's so many fond memories of cruises that have happened in the past. And so that was kind of like the balancing act for me was there's high expectations and so how am I going to blow people out of the water? And that just went through my head again and again throughout the entire planning process. Yeah, for sure. Did you have a vision in your mind of what a virtual cruise would look like and the types of activities our team could experience? Like, how were these realized and how did it live up to your expectations? Okay, so 
I joined last year, and so I've had the privilege of being on one AGConf cruise. So AGConf 10, I was there, and it's honestly my one and only cruise I've ever been on. And so I, I had an idea of what last year's cruise was like. And I knew that at the end of it, I just, I wanted to have people leaving, feeling really pumped about the year and, and hyped for all of the things that we were going to do. So, you know, we, we probably planned this in about 45 days from beginning to end. And so we, it was a crunch, it was crunch time for us. And there were two main challenges that I was trying to solve for, at least I thought they were going to be challenges. So one is how do I cater to 400 plus people? This more than double than last year, meaning that less than half had experienced one conference at least. And the other new bits had never experienced one. And so we had half of the people that had expectations of what it was going to be like and the other half didn't. And then challenge two is, you know, how do I make us feel together, even though we can't be? And so those are the two things that kind of went through my head. So with regards to number one, the catering to 400 people with a bunch of folks being new. And I wanted to really preserve like some of the fond memories and that feeling that people come out of AGConf that we hear about so much. I also wanted to start kindling that same kind of excitement to, to all of the new bits. One of the ways I, I tried to do this, I tried not to lean too much on inside jokes that we have plenty of, and they're funny when you know what they're about. But instead, I try to create diverse content that would resonate with everybody and different types of people and different types of preferences and tastes. So if you were on the cruise, you would have seen lots of different types of activities or guest speakers. I tried to include small nods to the AG comp that used to happen. And that would be familiar to all of the bits that were here last year. But new bits wouldn't be like, huh, what is this? I don't understand. So that was kind of tricky because it's all of those, you know, things that you've experienced together that are funny and, and bring out those feelings of happiness, right? And so that was a balancing act. If I could think about one way we tried to do this. So at the end of every cruise, there's a group picture. This group picture has gone from like a few people to like hundreds of people. And this year I wanted to do the same thing. So what we did is we had a photo booth. And with the photo booth pictures at the end, we created a big mosaic. So we weren't together, but I wanted to maintain that tradition of having a group photo. We also included things like the lanyard with the cruise pass because everyone's familiar with that card. If you've been on a cruise, you know that card, but you don't have to be a, a legacy bit to understand that. Everyone's going to understand that, but that card feels like really good to people that have been on AG Comp. So those were kind of two ways that we catered to the 400 plus different people. And then with regards to making us feel like we're together, even though we're not, my favorite part was when everyone submitted videos and it got worked into the opening and the closing videos with dancing. And, you know, that just made my heart melt. I, I love that. As well as things like the games and the cabanas and just making ways for us to network together. So that's how we kind of overcame the feeling together, even though we're apart piece. The videos were, were so neat to me because in the weeks leading up, Emily had sent out an email saying like, hey, everyone, like I need video clips of you doing these like five activities <laughs> or something. And it was like just various physical movements. Right. And what happened was the production company took those videos, clipped out the people from them and then like placed them on the deck and the virtual ship. So like you'd see people dancing on the deck while you're like clicking around the ship. It was really fun. It was really neat. I think everyone really enjoyed seeing themselves on screen, even though when they were asked to submit, they were skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that happened during the week were these breakout sessions. And in particular, we had a, a fantastic women in tech panel that you led. Uh, what sort of things were covered in that panel that resonated so much with, with the entire team? Yeah, I, I think there was there was a lot of practical and actionable advice that was given during the sessions. You know, we surveyed folks after AGConf and one of the respondents to the survey kind of wrote, 
It was so great to see different women from the business talk about their experiences and provide some great guidance and actionable advice. I think what resonated the most was that the leaders or the speakers were our own leaders. And so we didn't get outside speakers for that. We wanted to bring in one password people to talk about the challenges that they face on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, one of the questions that we asked um, on one of the panels, at least, was there's a lot of kids at home and, you know, women are taking a disproportionate amount of that homework during the pandemic. You know, how are, how are you dealing with it? And it was just real women with kids at home talking about how they deal with it on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's practical advice that, that resonated with a lot of people that joined the call, both men and women that are taking care of children at home. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We had new and familiar faces. And I think it just spoke to the fact that these concerns and and questions were universal and resonate across the board. There was a lot of people that attended these panels and people were so interested in, in hearing from everyone. And And I think that just the fact that Bits are asking for more types of these sessions and want to hear from a variety of voices throughout the company is super great to see. And, and we really hope to be able to continue with, with panels such as this. Yeah, absolutely. So the team left that talk in particular feeling really inspired and empowered. What do you think others can do to empower women in tech, whether that's women empowering themselves or, or coworkers helping elevate others in the workplace? Yeah. In, in one of the panels, Sasha mentioned, you know, three ways that you can help support women. And she mentioned you could spot and diffuse toxic behavior. You can give credit and you can advocate. And so what does that mean practically? In our company or any other company, there are simple things you can do to show support and to start learning more. So you can join and support a, the women in tech group that your, your company may have. Or in, in our case, we have a Slack channel that's open to anyone that can join. And the conversations that are happening, especially after the panel, are, are great. You can recruit top talent into your network. So one of the easy ways to do this that doesn't cost any money really is make sure when you're looking for talent that you keep the job postings open long enough to attract lots of applications and just not the first 20. That way you make sure you get a diverse talent pool and you can pull from a different pool, a a bigger pool. And then you can set out to mentor or sponsor women and or other underrepresented teams or people in your company. I think these are really, they don't cost money. (laughs) They cost a little bit of time and they're just really simple ways for, for everyone to start getting involved. So one of our objectives for 2021 as a company is actually an increased focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. This panel obviously plays into that. Are there other things that we can talk about that sort of aim to work towards that that company-wide objective for the year? Yeah, there's a couple things that we're already working on to help increase awareness of DEI. And so one of the things the talent team is doing is they're looking at job boards to see where we can post our job requisitions. And these job boards will be specific to um, underrepresented groups. So that's something the talent team is working on as we speak. Another thing that I know that some of the dev teams are working on are participating in STEM and STEM conferences or hosting STEM conferences for women. And that's an initiative that I'm super excited to see where it ends up. But yeah, across the company, there are a lot of activities that are taking place so that we can up the awareness company-wide. That's, that's so cool. It's I have this belief that the best products are made by a diverse group of people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was reading an article and I'm, I'm, I don't know the exact percentages. It's just, I read it in Forbes and it was talking about decision-making in companies and, you know, why companies should care about diversity. And there's obvious reasons why we should care, but you know, they kind of broke it down as like, as a company, decisions are more successful when you have a diverse team. So they threw out something like 80% or 90% improvement on decision-making when the team is diverse. So they kept saying, you know, if you have an all-male team versus a team with, with females versus a team with diverse age and, you know, and they started going up and, and adding more diversity, it was just 
the successful decisions they made were were higher and higher. And so there's a real impact to the business of having a diverse team. So I, I think that's a really great point, Ru. Thanks. I agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so finally, Jeannie, I want to end with the question we ask everyone. Uh, what is your favorite part about working at 1Password and why is it getting to work with me? <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> so I've, I've been here a, a year and two months. It's been so rewarding. So for me, my favorite part about working at 1Password is that anything I do or the things that I do, I see that change happening right in front of my eyes. It's not I put it in today and I see something two years from now. I can actually see all of my efforts and my team's efforts resulting in things happening across the company right now as soon as we start doing it. And so that's so rewarding for me. And maybe first and not se- and not second, but the people at 1Password, we do a really great job of just hiring stand-up human beings. I've just not worked with a better group of people that are just so humble, so passionate about what they do. It's refreshing and it's a privilege to be here and working with with folks like you. Aww. I'm so glad that you work here. That's just on a personal note. I think you're great. And I'm glad that you're on the show today. And I'm glad that you're with us at 1Password. Thank you. Thank you for my big break. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rue. It's your favorite time. It is a special birthday edition for you uh, (laughs) of Marvel and superhero themed Play Your Passwords Right. Great. I have designed this specifically for you, Rue, in the hopes that you will actually win this one, okay? I don't understand. So no pressure. I don't. Okay, sure. <laughs> also, it's not going to help. So <laughs> fine. Let's let's go uh, with the craze that is swiffering the globe. Uh, play your passwords right. Okay. I think we should have three on the scoreboard this time. I think we should have me, you, and then everything just marked as higher. And so let's play everything as marked as higher and then see if you lose against just <laughs> clicking the button and hoping 50%. Right. This could be good. I feel like this is even more humiliating than just playing against a person. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So first up this week, we have Ant-Man with 4,049. That's high. And next up, we have Black Panther. Is that Higher or lower than Ant-Man at 4,049. It's, it's definitely higher. Higher. Yeah, that's absolutely higher. Wrong. It is lower at 2,100. Scoreboard still blank. Okay, so following Black Panther, we have Captain America. Higher or lower, 2,100. It's higher. That's higher than Black Panther. Uh, yeah, it's higher. Wrong again. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! It is lower. Oh, what is happening? Six hundred and fifty guys. Significantly lower. Okay. Well, the next one's got to be higher. Don't say that, man. So it's the Battle of the Captains. Captain Marvel. Is that a film? Is that higher or lower than Captain America? Six hundred and fifty. It's lower. Um, it's lower. I'm going lower. Hang on. What, what did Rue go? I too am going lower. Okay. You are both correct. It is lower. Only 45, that one. <laughs> Next up, we have Loki. It's, it's too short. Oh, <sighs> I, I'm going higher because honestly, 45 people. It's it's going to be lower. More people have my name as a password than, than Loki, I think. It's going to be lower. What? <laughs> I'm going lower. Okay, I'm going higher. And so is our higher bot. Oh. <laughs> It is higher at 6,292. <laughs> okay, Rue's on, on par with the higher bot. Great. So, Wonder Woman 
It's like higher or lower than Loki at six thousand two hundred and ninety-two. Higher. It's, it's you know that's been a that's been a thing for a long time. By a thing, I mean a popular comic and a good concept. Would you like a shovel? <laughs> mm, I'm going lower. Ooh, me and higher bot. Here we go. Okay, sorry, Rue. It is higher at seven thousand six hundred and sixty-eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> last place from higher bot there. Yep, it's fine. So following Wonder Woman, we have Hawkeye. It's lower. What? Lower. Is that a film? Oh, dear. Oh, my God. Will you shut up? I'm not a Marvel person. You're worse than me, and I'm not a Marvel fan. What, what does Hawkeye do? He's part of the Avengers, right? Oh, okay. He's got, has he got a hawk's eye? I'm not answering any of your comic book-based questions. I, I just, You need to know, I refuse. Oh, this is Jeremy Renner. Yeah. I always thought, why is he hanging around with these other superheroes? He's just got <laughs> a bow and arrow. Like, how is that a superpower? Anyway, um, l- lower. You're both going lower. Based on my opinion of Hawkeye, I think. Yeah, Hawkeye is lower. Okay, you are both incorrect. It is significantly higher. Oh, my goodness. 18,988. <laughs> There's a lot of Jeremy Renner <laughs> fans out there. Oh, flipping higher bots tied with Matt. Oh, no. The old higher bot is almost beating us both. Following up, we simply have Marvel. Is that more or less? Than 18,988. Oh, higher. No, I'm going lower. Lower than Hawkeye. Rue, you're clawing back the points because it is lower. 18,365. Okay, there's not a lot in that. Not a lot. No. I'm taking the point. I don't care. (laughs) So next up we have Iron Man. Higher or lower than Marvel? Oh, definitely higher. Yeah. I'm saying higher regardless. Yep, you are both correct. It is 41,391. And now we have our first number in the mix, Spider-Man 1. I mean, this is just a mm-hmm. this is a wrench in the mechanics of the game. I mean, it's got to be lower than Spider-Man itself, right? So, and Spider-Man 1 was not the best of the Spider-Mans. This is lower. Uh, yeah, lower. Sorry guys, it's higher. <laughs> 97,345. Well, it's our biggest one so far. Well, so higher bot is beating us both. <laughs> That's correct, yes. Okay, so penultimate password here is Batman. Not technically a Marvel, but you know, superhero. Is that higher or lower than Spider Man uh, 1? I, I feel like one of us has to win to get our dignity back from higher bot here. Well, it's going to be you because I can't possibly claw back three points here. Uh, if any of these are higher, higher bot continues to win. I'm going higher, though, because I believe that Batman is more popular than Spider-Man 1. You're 97,000, <laughs> though. Okay, I'm going higher as well. <laughs> I, I mean, regardless, higher bot, I think he's going to win now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you are both correct. It is higher at 213,913. That's So the winner of Play Your Passwords right this week is higher bot. Uh, no, we got one more password. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was that was the penultimate. Oh, okay. Penultimate. That means the one before the last yes. one. Right. Okay. See. We've determined this in previous episodes. <laughs> Good lord. Okay. All right. Final password now. It is Superman, obviously. Batman versus Superman. Oh, higher. I mean, I'm a big Superman fan, so I think I'm I think I'm biased here. Batman was 213,913. I'm I'm taking the opposition just to maybe tie with Matt. So I'm saying lower. I'm sorry, Rue. It's higher at 350,158. <laughs> That's fine. It was a gamble. There you go. Listen, I wasn't going to win anyway. So higher bot wins it with a one point lead there. What have we done to ourselves? This was my idea and I absolutely regret it. <laughs> I feel better somewhat. 
for for some reason <laughs> because you lost to your crummy idea and i like that <laughs> all right Ch- tune in next time when we go compete against lower bot yeah <laughs> <laughs> we do have one final game of play your passwords right next episode which is going to be the cringy password edition to finish us off there Ooh, i'm enjoying yeah. it fantastic all right love you both love, love you, you both, both. bye bye